Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. But this little dink ball, the only one in a crowded area where it's a fist pass, the weight is taken over, hits the ground and it bounces into a fella's chest. Why do you not do many interviews? Oh, really? Yeah, I've been asked to do a whole while. Really? Yeah. Have you ever rang me? And they're roaring at me, I cover you, you free state bastard. <laughs> and next thing I hear, you have no fucking jurisdiction up here. <laughs> <laughs> So we're back for a preview show, lads. We obviously didn't do a show on Monday. As everybody knows, the nightclubs opened up uh, this weekend and I couldn't get Niall and Lee out of bed um, on Monday morning to do a show. Only joking, but the nightclubs were open, Niall, and you were one of the brave souls that that got into the queue to get into Coppers and didn't get in because you weren't there early enough. Yeah, I tried my best, in fairness, uh, there on a Saturday night, but there was no luck. The, the queue has gone miles out the road, so I just went back to... Back to back to the house and had an early night. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Like Saturday, Saturday night. This Saturday night, um, Lee on RTE, we see Dramore and Trillick um, game. I have to say, like Trillick are are basically the consistent um, team in Tyrone. They've won it. They got back to the final, lost on penalties to Dungannon, and now they're looking to get back to the final as well. In another county, this would be like a ten in a row consistency. Yeah, they're absolutely brilliant. Um, they beat Kelly Clahar very comfortably as well, which a lot of people didn't see coming. They won 314 to 1 6, I think it was. Uh, that game went to a draw last year, so it just shows that, you know, right. they're still improving and they're still driving forward. Um, Matty Donnelly, we thought he might be injured for the game. They were very quiet about it, but he played the full thing. Lee Brennan up front, but it was actually Rory Brennan who got the goals on the day. Two goals from halfback, very impressive. Um, but they're coming up against the Dramorse that, that have all the momentum. Uh, Dramore beat Arbo by two points in the preliminary round. They beat the defended champions, Duncan and Clarks, in extra time. And then they beat Eglish, who is Connor McKenna, by two points, I think it was last weekend, just, you know, so that that little bit of grit and determination and belief, you know, it was, it's very much how the Clarks won it last year, just with that sort of, uh, you know, never giving up. The, the sponsor or the hashtag for the Tyrone Championship this year is hashtag refuse to lose. And Dramore seemed to have adopted that, you know, for their very own. And uh, it, it leaped to a very exciting game, I think, yeah. 
Yeah, no, it definitely will. I saw the highlights of that, actually. Killy Clower got it back to nearly a draw at halftime and then got destroyed. Rory Brennan's last goal was a fantastic uh, finish. That was a surprise considering that they, they drew it um, last year. Roscommon, uh, Niall, football final is Clonagale. They're the kind of big, you know, traditional team in Roscommon and Podrick Pierce's who won it two years ago and lost last year's final <coughs> to St. Bridget's. This is kind of like Liam Kearns versus uh, Pat Flanagan. They're doing well, the clubs in Offaly, you know, or the clubs in Roscommon attract these high profile managers yeah and two absolute fanatics of men as well like I was I was reading about Pat Flanagan this morning and he's like Davy Fitzgerald he's been he's been coaching teams since 1995 like and he's a great great record with other clubs as well he won a county championship in Westmead with Terrell's Pass and he's an awfully man he won with his club Clara as well but um, yeah it looks like uh, it's kind of a you'd be excited to see the sort of the battle on the sidelines as well but um Clonagale are obviously the, the most successful club in Roscommon they've like won 21 titles but Pierce is now this is their third final in a row and I know that they lost um, when after they lost last year that made it they lost last year and after that then it's kind of you know it's been it's, it might be something that's kind of been in their heads like because that was the first one that they ever won yeah. in um in 2019 but they've a good good young team they're missing missing Connor Daly he was suspended in the semi-final but they've three Daly brothers um on the team and Hubert Darcy as well and Clonagale they've won in in 2013 and 2018 they've Ulton Harney and Kieran Lennon is the main scorer up front so um it should be a good game yeah Conan Doherty's favorite player is Hubert uh Hubert Darcy that's the one um, yeah, Conan, Conan's always a big big fan of his. Yes, yeah, so keep. The, I don't know what it is about Roscommon football. I don't want to be disrespectful, but when St. Bridget's are knocked out, my interest in Connacht football kind of, it wanes a little bit. I don't think, maybe it's because the other teams haven't done anything in recent years. It's been all St. Bridget's doing it in the Connacht club and winning in All-Ireland. Um, obviously, Kula Kilmacud is the big one. That's on TG Cahar as well. So the first one on TG Cahar is the Roscommon one, then 345 is Kula Kilmacud. This is a, this is obviously a big one. Kula struggled over Ballyboden. You say that's okay. Ballyboden are a big team, but they also struggled over St. Bridget. So maybe they haven't caught fire. Mm, I suppose he can only beat what's in front of you as well. And like Kilmacud Croaks, they haven't won a final um, since 2014. So like it's it's been a long time coming for them for a team that have such talent as well, Woolly. And like they've lost two finals to Kula. In I think it was 2016 and 17, like so, you know they'll be eager to kind of to to get one over on Kula this weekend. Like they've they've lots of great players, like they've Ronan Hayes and Alex Considine. They're calling them the twin towers up front, two big men and you know great target men to to hit the ball into. And they've Ushin O'Rourke as well, a very good player for Dublin. But yeah, yeah Kula, as you said, maybe they haven't caught fire, but they're they're still winning those tight games, which is which is a great sign of a team, really. Yeah, exactly. And Eddie Brennan on the sideline, obviously he's in there coaching this year. The Tipperary, before we move into a little bit of Congress chat, the Tipperary semi-finals, it's going to be Killadangan, Lockmore, Castellani County final, the very same as last year. I'm calling it now. I'd say Thurlis Arsfields will have something to say about that now. They've been in flying form um, this year. Like Even their second team got all the way to the quarterfinals in the Senior B and the, sen- the, the Senior A, their first team, they've been, they've been beaten all around them really so far. And they kind of seem to be showing the sort of spark of old in, in Thurlis without really having too many um, new players. But like yeah, you probably would expect... Um, That'll be a, that'll be a very good game now, Kildanian and Turles. It'll be worth keeping an eye on. And Lockmore and Barcelli, Lockmore will be favourites because they're coming in in such good form, like having having beaten Killer One fairly comfortably the last day out, and with the McGraths in such fine form. And like 
but Barcelona, you know, they were in the All Ireland Club final only yeah. two years ago, so like that'll be tight as well. And uh, looking forward to watching those games for sure. Yeah, you said Turles will have something to say about it, not Barcelona. So you're writing off Barcelona. Reading between the lines here with you, um, Niall. So it's going to be um, Turles, Kiladangan, fifty-fifty, and Lockmore Castellani are going to beat Barcelona. That's basically what I'm reading, um, reading into it. I want to talk quickly about Congress. Uh, you know, the obsession with Congress is obviously over. We didn't do a show um, on Monday. Fifty-one support for Plan B. I'm glad I'm talking about it now a week later and not kind of last Saturday or Sunday when you're really kind of you know pissed off about it and it's not getting in. 51% vote, almost 51% vote for Plan B. So it won a majority. Um, you know, it was defeated by 16 votes. So wh- where do we go from here I suppose is the conversation everybody has to have now. You can't keep talking about mine's better than yours and yours better than mine and this proposal etc. Um, my opinion on where we go from here is you have to you have to use what's there and change it a little bit because, like I said, we have fifty one percent support. If you go back in with another proposal and something completely new, you're risking losing a lot of that fifty. I'd like to start from fifty one and gain nine percent, then go back, you know, completely open to maybe getting forty five percent the next time and alienating other counties. I think the big one is you need to win over Mayo and Kerry, who are a disgrace as far as I'm concerned, to think trying to feather their own nests. And Mayo, let's be honest, Mayo can make an All-Ireland quarter-final if they just beat Galway or Roscommon a lot of years. And Kerry can can get to an All-Ireland quarter-final just beating Cork. And they would rather take that then go into a championship, you know, that suits, that's much, much better for the, you know, majority of counties. I just think that's shocking. And uh, Kerry nearly worse because Kerry should surely have the confidence that they'll get in the top five. Mayo should have the confidence as well. They're beating all Ireland finalists the last two years. And I just think it's, it's incredible that both counties just thought about their own. And a lot of times you have a situation where Kerry are complaining that they're getting into the, the all Ireland quarterfinals undercooped. And then you have the Ulster counties complaining that they're going into the Ulster final too battle-hardened, too many matches, too many, you know, cutthroat matches and look how easy Kerry have it. And Kerry, who have a too easy, voted against it and the Ulster counties who say they have a too hard voted against it, um, Lee. So there's actually no, I don't, like, I mean, it's just mind-boggling that, you know, that both voted no for different, different opposing disadvantages of the, of the current system. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, I was quite surprised at my own reaction by this because I never really believed that it was going to happen. You know, I mean, especially when the, the provinces sort of came out and, and were against it. I was like, this probably isn't going to get the back and it, it, it deserves. But I was working on the day um, when the news came through and I, I couldn't get over how angry I actually was. I went straight on and I didn't write so much an article as it was a rant. You know, it was me just more typing and going and another thing, you know, and just frantically typing about everything. But um Hugely, hugely disappointed in Mayo. Um, I think just because, apart from this year, obviously, being a Tyrone man, um, I was supporting Mayo, you know, all them other years as they were getting through to the finals and everything else. I love the county. I love uh, the place. I love the, the club football. I love. I always loved how, you know, they conducted themselves and the type of football that they play. But I was just so disappointed when they came out. Um, I don't know why Kerry didn't register with me, but like when they came out, you know, I'm more against it. I was just furious, you know, because they have such an easier route to the final and to the semi-finals, quarterfinals, whatever else. And like, I thought they would be the ones that really want to test themselves, you know, after the hammerings against the likes of Slego and whatever last year. Um, I mean, <laughs> words sort of betray me on this one. Like Niall Morgan said in a GPA meeting, uh, if Dublin were an Ulster, would they have won all of the All-Irelands that 
they went by the, that they won in recent years. And it's maybe not a great example because they probably actually would have, you know, they, they were a been. level above everyone else. Yeah. So, but I think a better question or a better example would have been, would Mayo have reached all the finals if they had to get through Ulster this year? You know, if you, you know, through Donegal into Connacht um, and watch them reach a lot more semifinals and finals. You know, it's, it's, it's just the way it is. There's a huge imbalance here. And the teams who favor from that imbalance actually, you know, Still, they want to keep it, even though it's open for everyone to see and everyone can see that what they're doing was an act of, you know, cowardly, really. Because <laughs> John Horn said before they made the votes that uh, he asked everyone for courage, to vote for courage today. And it was just a characteristic that was hugely missing on the day and I was just beyond disappointed him getting wound up again. <laughs> well that's the thing Mayo Chairman Lee Moffat um, said on the day it's very difficult to get away from a, a team 6th in Division 1 denied the chance to compete in the all Ireland series so that's and the uh, Kerry Chairman Tim Murphy also raised concerns about 6th place the idea that you'd come 6th in Division 1 there's 8 teams in Division 1 and if Division 1 teams just forget about every other division don't worry about it and you're going into a competition with 8 teams and you can't, if you come in the top five, you qualify from those eight teams. Forget about everything else. They want six to qualify. It doesn't make any sense, regardless of what happens in the other divisions, because you want to make it all relative and you want to give every team a chance to play for Sam. So they need to stop worrying about a Division 4 team making it. If you can't get top five out of eight after seven games, you don't deserve to go any further. And that's it. You just don't deserve it. So, like, I suppose a solution if we're going to try and find tweaks to bring, because we need bring Kerry and Mayo on board. Now, like, I mean, they have to come on board. They've got a lot of votes. So, like, <clears> is the solution to go Division 1A and Division 1B? So, this has been mooted kind of beforehand. So, you get all the teams in Division 1 and Division 2 and you mix them all together, randomly draw them out. Um, you know, you'll have a mix of Division 1 and 2. You'll have the odd hammering if, you know, a Clare or a Kildare have to, or a Clare or a... You know, a lower division two team. I'm trying to think of an example. It'll it'll come to me if they have to play, or or maybe Derry. For, if they have to play Dublin and Croke Park, you know, it could be like a twelve point uh, beating. It will fix that sixth place thing because they can't complain about that anymore. It's jumbled around. The problem with that could be: Will division two teams go? Well, hang on. I preferred it the way it was. Three mm-hmm. of us could go through. There's a very good chance none of us will now because the top eight will be the potentially there might be one place up for grabs Kildare you know against the Corks and these ones it'll go from three to, to one so is there a chance you'll alienate this which are always work, trying to work from how can we get more than 51 and how do we not lose anyone that has voted yes you know in mm. who are part of the 51% yeah like it, it kind of seems that no matter what is put forward there's always going to be you know, as as there was there, the Kerry and the Mayo yeah. had their grievance. And if you're going with the way you're saying there, where you have the Division 1A and Division 1B mixed, you're kind of risking losing that the votes, the votes that you already have. Like, and you really don't want to lose those votes, you know, because um, and it's just, I don't know, it just seems it seems a difficult one, especially when you need 60 percent as well. Like yeah. That's kind of an overwhelming majority. Like and when you're looking for a change. And there's complaints coming from every corner. It just, it seems it's difficult to see where the kind of solution, like I know we're, we're given solutions, but where it's actually going to come from in Congress, like, you know. Yeah, well, it's difficult. That'll obviously suit, say the 1A, 1B, 2A, 2B, where the top teams in 2A and 2B also get into play for Sam. That is a potential tweak. They're all talking about these tweaks. It's hard to know what the tweaks are. That might fix the sixth place. It could open up a can of worms with the Division 2 teams. Who knows? But it would be a solution to the Kerry Mayo. 
they would probably have to come on board. Limerick's another one, massively disappointing. Mm. They went against it. It's incredible. I think the Munster Council officers are in Limerick, whether that was, you know, uh, played a part, it, it, you know, it's hard to know. The other big problem, obviously, is the Ulster counties. Ulster said no, they all said no, and they spoke up on the day. And, like, I mean, talking to people, the Ulster Council made a very, very big push on changing those individual counties' minds, even against the mandate of their, their players and even against their clubs. They went in hard on it. The Ulster Council really did, really did put huge, huge pressure on the counties and they all went against them. They have 20, I think it was 22 votes plus their, their Ulster Council uh, delegates. So it was, it was a lot of votes to lose. How the hell do we get you guys on board, uh, Lee? Like, I mean, they're, they're like provincial, is it to incentivise the provinces? We have to make the Ulster Championship more important. We have to give it more, um, you know, importance in the year. What is that importance? They're worried it's going to be like a pre-season tournament. Do the winners of the Ulster Championship get four home league games in the league championship? Do they get a point head start? Do they get two points head start? Do the Ulster champions, Munster, Connacht, Leinster champions be guaranteed a team holiday? Just like the All-Ireland champions. You know, that would be something that would make the players want to, you know, take it more seriously. It has to be incentivised. The Ulster counties have to be brought on board. They're the two. The two issues are the sixth place division one, Ulster counties. You give me the Ulster solution. You know the, you know the Ulster psyche better than me. Yeah, and the problem with the Ulster psyche is that we're a very stubborn bunch, especially <laughs> when it comes to the GAA. You know, we like to be heard. Um, I, I mean, I think that is a solution. What they want is a link. They keep talking about this link. There has to be a link between, yeah. you know, the All-Ireland Series and, and the, the provincial title, or in this case, the Ulster title. Um, and I think you just offered the solution there, a point or a two-point, um, you know, extra two points if you win the title, then that puts you in a very advantageous position. You can maybe afford to not relax in the league, but you know, it, it gives you that breathing space and stuff, you know, or if you were an underdog team like Cavan were last year and they got to do it, then, you know, that gives them a head start and voting for promotion, you know, the following year as well as like their championship um, uh, progression into the Sam Maguire. So like, I mean, to me, that's the example, but the problem with it is, is that they keep, they keep coming with problems and they've never, I've never actually heard any solution from their point. I, I hear Brian McAvoy say, there has to be a link, but it's like, but what link? Like, what yeah. exactly is it that you want? You know, when you're not being transparent, you know, when you give us something tangible to work with, why is it that those who are saying for change are, are, are brought forward solutions? This is change. Proposal B is a really good, it ticks all of these boxes and this is what we should do. Um, and then they say, well, but there's all these problems with it. I don't have any solutions, but these are the issues with it. And, you know, you don't know what to do with that. And then they all came out and said that, you know, that they'll back change. But yeah. as vague as you like, you know, but what change? We've just gave you change and, and you won't take it. So until they come forward and say this is the tweaks specifically. But yeah, it is going to be a case of incentivizing them. Um, in terms of the uh, finishing sect and not getting in, I, I actually don't understand that at all. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's, I don't know if it's just not explained correctly because everyone is in the All-Ireland. They have the opportunity to compete for it at the start of the season. Yeah. It's not a league. It's a championship. They're championship games. If you finish sixth, so say you've lost maybe four championship games. And and what other structure and what other tournament and what other sport would you lose four championship games and still be in the competition? Yeah. You know, and so none of that makes any sense to me. Um so I guess the I don't know is the answer. Yeah. Well we'll we'll move on from this now um and you know we'll we'll uh talk about something else but a couple of other points on it. I I agree with you with the delegates saying they want change. I don't believe them. I think that's a nice little buzzword and it was a way of running down proposal B by saying we want change but not this I don't believe them 
that they want change. I don't believe them at all. I think they're just saying it. They've no idea what change they want. I think they're more than happy with the way it is. I see other people, Keith Duggan in the Irish Times, I saw Joe Brawley talking about the Jim McGuinness proposal. I think Sean Kelly involved in that as well. I've read that. That proposal was based on a nine-month inter-county season. The inter-county season now is six months. Jim McGuinness is a very, very long season. It wouldn't work. You know, it's just very, very hard. The, the, the proposal B fits lovely into uh, six months. So McGuinness needs to go back to the drawing board and come back with another one that keeps the provincials, makes them really, really bloody important, keeps the, keeps the or plays another championship, keeps the two of them linked, do that and then come back. And uh, like you'd be surprised that Keith Duggan and Joe Brawley promoting a proposal that just doesn't fit into six months. It's impossible. So, like, I mean... There's not much less else to say on it other than the Fixtures uh, Review Committee is finished now. So they're gone. They've done. They're the ones that came up with Plan A and Plan B. So they're out. So now it's Larry, that, was, that was John Horan's kind of project and that was his committee. Now Larry McCarthy has to take ownership of this now. He says he wants change. He says they're mandated for change. He's to set up a new committee now. So will the new committee use, use their common sense and say, right, we can't lose the 51. Let's make little changes. Or will they go, we don't like that at all. Let's start again. Who bloody knows now? Because it's a new committee, you know, like, I mean, so we don't know what way this is going to go. I think a new, with a new committee involved, I say there's no chance of it being ready for next February. Um, that it would have to be a special Congress at this stage next year um, before something would probably be ready to go to to go to Congress again. So anyways, um, not much more to say about that other than, uh, you know, let's keep our eyes out for this new committee. We're talking about Jewel um, now last Thursday and we're talking about the Douglas, Douglas only having one dual player and very unusual you know to only have the one they might have had one in the subs as well but like I mean a good few people got in touch with me after that they said they really liked the chat and people involved with clubs and they said this is a, a big problem within their clubs as well in that when you come out of minor there is a slight little bit of kind of uh, not pressure but there's an expectation to almost choose one or the other and if at senior level you know, for sure, it's not really working, you know, to, to do both. And yes, it is a, per, a, a, a player's own decision, but they almost feel like this is what's expected of me. You know, like, and we were saying this is terribly sad that this shouldn't be the case at all, that every club should be a dual club. In that, in a way from speaking to people, a lot of the issues come down to outside managers. In that an outside manager comes into your club and I would say the very vast majority of outside managers are getting paid. So what's an outside manager going to do who's getting paid? There's a lot of pressure on them to perform. Are they going to want their footballers or hurlers going away, only having them every, one week every two and could get injured? Like, it was human nature. I do it myself. Mm. I'd probably say, here, look, Jesus, like, say the football team's much stronger than the hurling. Do you, do you want to be going there and getting injured? You know, mm. this is happening behind the scenes all over the country. Yes, if you want to be a dual club... I think it has to be made clear to the manager that's coming in like that this is the story like we are a dual club and you just have to make do with it like because it's it's sort of a it's a difficult one because for players like there's there's never going to be I don't think there's going to be a policy like in a club or oh, you can't play one or it's not going to be official but there's probably going to be a bit of pressure coming from their managers telling them you know like if if one lad is a little bit more into football, he's like, right, well, you, you have to give up that hurling, you know, like, because that's only taken away from your game. It's taken away from our team. Like, so I don't know. I was looking into it a bit and it seems to be more kind of the urban clubs seem to kind of 
the ones with a bigger pick, I suppose, yeah, that, exactly. that can do that. Because the like you, you, you take Lockmore, Castellani, Cratlow, they're kind of more rural areas and should they need everyone that they have and yeah. they need them in both codes. Um, it seems to be kind of a thing in Tipperary as well. I know J.K. Brackens, they're in the other side of the, um, that's the Temple Moor Club, they're in the other side of the semi-final draw in the Tipperary football with Lockmore. And they were in the Tipperary final two years ago in football and there was yeah. 13 players playing both senior hurling and football for them. It's something similar for Lockmore. Like, and it's, it's obviously worked for those clubs, but I suppose in somewhere like Douglas and Luke and Sarsfields are the same. They're in the semi in both hurling and football in Dublin and they have only one player playing. They've only one. I suppose they're such big areas that maybe just there, there are there's so many players that are better than lads could be at both. Do you know that they're just maybe picking one? and like I mean, I suppose it is a policy at inter-county level in every county, and you know clubs tend to follow, managers mm. follow. You know the example they're being set. So like if you know Connell Keeney is the last kind of jewel for Dublin, like Kieran Kilkenny, we know these lads they're having to choose. So does a young lad come up through a club, see that example, and go, well, Jesus, I'm not going to you know get my maximal potential at club level if I'm going messing with two. I think the whole culture of that needs to change. We mentioned the FINA last week and they they had a policy where you had to choose and that's gone now. So they had it, it was a Donald Ryan this year playing Jewel and yeah. a few more lads on the bench um, on both teams. I just think it's very... It, it does need to be a club policy, um, I suppose, Lee. And it needs to be a situation where every club player knows and every manager that comes into the club knows that we're a dual club and we promote hurling and football completely equally. And no player will ever, you know, be disadvantaged or looked upon in any negative way by any manager that comes in that is hired by this club if he wants to play, play both. He'll be accommodated. And, you know, that's the policy that should be probably promoted within clubs. Maybe, it, you know, it's coming from the top down with, with, with clubs, maybe not enforcing this enough. Yeah, it probably is the, the club's um, responsibility, first and foremost, because even in the hiring process, when they're picking the manager and in the interviews and stuff, you know, they need to make that very clear. You know, like if you are willing to take this role, this is one of the responsibilities is looking after these dual players and making sure that, you know, the burnout and availability and everything else is is key um, to that role. And that's something that they need to be aware of before taking the job, you know, instead of just coming in saying, we want results, we want them any way necessary. Because then that gives the manager full reins to uh, be decisive with, you know, in picking which sport and players based on that. Niall's completely right in that, like, they don't come out with with open policies, you know, because they know they'd be, like, completely dismissed. And then it's it's more the the uh, low-key things that the manager doesn't say, you know, if a, if a hurler but also played football. He came to the manager and he said, why didn't you play me on Saturday? And then the manager said, oh, well, you didn't train on Wednesday. Yeah. But that was because it was the day before a hurling match, you know, but he didn't say anything about hurling. He yeah, just said yeah. you weren't training or, you know, and, and then it's slay and it's subtle. And then he goes to the uh, to the club and says, he's not picking me because of hurling and this, that and the other. But then the manager says, look, when I took this role, I had full, you know, autonomy in terms of picking my team and coaching the way I want. And then you're completely out of bypass. So it needs to be done, like you say, beforehand you know when when the whole selection process of the manager comes in and deep rooting the culture uh right uh, from the very beginning of the club and that's from underage all the way up you know you ha- they have to be encouraged to try out both things um you know some teams they do like joint sessions whether that you know in the terms of their run maybe their pre-season and like snc and things like that you know bonding it together that would help a little bit but yeah it, it's definitely a club culture thing rather than um you know, being outright and, and banning them as such. 
Yeah, so Ratot is a good example in Mead. They've got about 10 dual players. They were in the county final. They won the football. Um, they won the last two footballs, actually, and they were beaten by a pint after extra time in the hurling. They train together, um, you know, and they promote the dual, the dual um, club principle and any manager has to come in and work within that, not the other way around. Probably the best example in the country of, you know, the dual player being promoted is Lockmore Castellani. And they're obviously one of Tipperary's you know, best teams in both football and hurling. They're not kind of suffering because of this policy um, at all. They currently have the same manager for football and hurling. And I spoke to John McGrath, obviously Tipperary's uh, John McGrath. It's his uncle who is managing both teams and he explained how it works um, in Lockmore. Yeah, I'm not sure how other clubs work it, but I know now it was probably a little bit before my time playing senior with Lockmore, but there was a stage where... Um, Different management were over the hurling and the football, and it just didn't. It just didn't work. It was decided in the club, um, like it could be back maybe fifteen years ago or around that stage, that there had to be a link between between both um, both teams because you know if you're if you have a football, you know when you're playing it, so close together in the hurling and football, each manager is going to want as much time as they can. Whereas if it's the same fella. Yeah. Um, or the same couple of guys involved in both teams, it makes it a lot easier, and there's no, there's no arguments, and you know, it just that kind of thing just takes away from it and brings the morale down maybe a small bit. So, um, from that point of view, it's it's terrific the way we've it set up at the minute. Yeah, it's definitely a good one. And I was reading that sometimes you might start training with hurling and finish up on football. Now you're probably not doing that now with the the matches coming up, you know, thick and fast. You're probably just uniquely one one code, but earlier in the year you mix up a bit of both a bit of both in the same session. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you might do warm up maybe with a couple of hurling drills and and then go into a bit of football. Um, and <laughs> oh, I, it's funny. I suppose there's times there you'd be kind of wondering what whether you need to bring the hurlies over or what gear you're supposed to bring training. But um, no, I think we're just so used to it, like we're. You know, we're doing it for so long now um, and like I said, it's just that something a bit different and um, it keeps it keeps everything nice and fresh and everyone really interested. Yeah, well you're lucky in that nearly two, the two panels are almost identical barring the two goalkeepers. Yeah, pretty much like out of, I think we used I think we used 18 in the hurling the other day um, and I'd say there's probably maybe three three players to add to that for the football. So you're kind of working off about the same, roughly the same twenty guys um, for both teams. Like so, it is it is unique, I suppose, that you're not um, you're not leaving guys out if you're if you're going football training. It's the same lads are doing it all the all the time. So um, yeah, it helps that way that there is a huge crossover. Yeah, great stuff from John there. Like, I mean, I'm not sure I'm promoting this. Uh, it's a very, very unique situation in that Lockmore Castellani, almost their entire team plays both. You know, training together for me would maybe put, maybe the, like uh, Lee says, the physical training at the start of the year to have a good big, you know, a lot of players might be in Dublin and you wouldn't have a, you might be only training with 10 or 11. If you, whereas if you combine the two, you'll have a big panel of players. They're the same club. We're not fighting against each other, lads. We're all friends. We're all the same club. And even in Port Leash, I remember, there was always that little bit of us and them. 
are the managers getting on and one manager might double cross the other manager by getting the lads to train when they weren't meant to and now there's a tension and you know it's vital the managers get on it's vital the players get on the training together maybe the physical training in January and February I think can be done together what a lot more do is just take to totally new levels by bringing their hurl <laughs> warming up with hurling and continue. it doesn't seem to continuing the rest of the session with football it doesn't seem to affect them that, like, but I could, I'm not sure that would work well, I think for that to work, wouldn't you need to have the one manager managing oh, both teams? Oh, you'd have to, obviously, like, yeah. Because, yeah. Like, yeah, that, that, you just have that image of the Lockmore training session, like the slitters fi- flying in one direction, <laughs> football's flying the other. just magical, I would call that. Absolutely, like, and isn't it such a great thing, really, that they have going, that it's nearly two years now that they've been going, and, like, for when the championship's on, nearly every weekend, they have a match. It's hurling, it's football, it's the same lads involved, and, like, what a buzz that would kind of create in the area yeah. and in that team like what I'd say they must have some team spirit you know built up from having played so many games together come through so many battles and like it really is it's kind of like I, I think I'd really enjoy that sort of a training session we only play football the odd time as a, as a we're like junior B or whatever but like you'd always enjoy picking up the footballs and there's nearly a bit more crack or whatever like I'm not sure like more obviously take hurling and football as serious as the other but sometimes, you know, you're, you're training so much, you might get sick of one code. Isn't it great then to kind of just dive into the other and get going again? Well, that's the thing. And uh, like, I mean, in championship then, like I explained, the, the week before a football match, you're playing football. Then week for a hurling match, you're playing hurling. I don't know, like, Lee, is this something like that could take off? Again, I'm saying I'm not against it. But look, if a man, there, there's football managers and there's hurling managers, but there's also players like John McGrath, Noel McGrath, dual players, Connell Keeney, all those dual players who are both hurling men and football men. Who says they couldn't go into a club and revolutionise the club and have them training together? Like, is it possible or is this, a, is Lockmore Castellani the most unique situation that can't be repeated? You did sort of make it sound like a fairy tale, you know, just leathers <laughs> and footballs been floating about and everyone laughing and joking together, you know. I'd say there'd be a lot more swearing and fighting in the middle of it all too, you know, in football or no in GAA training in, in general. I mean, it definitely is a possibility, but like, you just need a club that's fully committed to giving both codes um, the time and effort, you know. And then there's the, the supporters as well, because like, if like in a lot of the cases up in Ulster in particular, unless you're in North Antrim, they only care about football really. And like the fans, they're not going to go out and watch the hurling teams, you know, and they're not going to get behind them really. And, the, you know, people aren't going to follow them. So then as a player, you're going to choose to be, you know, into the, the, the football, you know, where the buzz is, where the excitement is and everything else. So there's just a little bit of that, but it, like, I think it starts from underage up, you know, from the bottom up um, and trying to get that culture changed, you know, encourage both, or the young children to to try both, uh, get used to having both, get used to going to training with the mentality that you'll be, you know, using the stick and you won't be, you know, in, in a matter of minutes within the training session. I, I do think it's a class idea and, and, you know, they're living proof that it can work and I think other clubs will eventually follow suit, hopefully, because um, it's quite it's quite inspirational and, and it's like a true... Uh, a true Gael sort of story, you know. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it is, it is fairy tale stuff and, and what the GAA is all about. It is. It's Slock Nail. It's basically Slock Nail and, yeah. Ca- and Lockmore Castellani and these clubs that have gone in, promoted both, 
equally and look at the results. Like, I mean, it's the club's fault a lot of the time. We'll move off to this conversation now because it is the club's fault. Like, I mean, it's the, it's the, it's the, the committee of the club, chairman, secretary, this is a choice they can make and they can lead the club and tell managers what type of club we are, what we want to achieve and it's 50-50. And the, the, the players then give up that idea, oh, I better, you know, these are meetings you have, like, we're a dual club. This is not one and the other. This is we want both teams to do well. We can make both teams do well. Look at the examples that are out there. And it's up to them, you know, to make that make that happen. Moving on from that, TJ Reid has been talking about Henry uh, Shefflin. It was after um, after Ballyhale uh, beat James Stevens at the weekend. And he was talking about, he said, well, he read about it on Joe.ie, which I thought was a, <laughs> I thought was a good one. Um, that's where TJ goes to get his, his uh, sports news. Fantastic. Why not sports, Joe, actually? Yeah, well, it was fake news at that, at that, at that rate. So uh, <laughs> hopefully he's reading the other articles as well. So basically he said, Henry's a dedicated man committing everything he does. He's up there to win. He's traveling seven hours round trip. He's going up there to win. Absolutely. Galway have a serious outfit. I think he mentioned Richie O'Neill. Um, who's going with him. So, like, I mean, he's wishing Henry all the best, but obviously, um, if you're up against them in the league or Leinster, it's a different story then. And, it, it's, you know, we, I know we talked about Henry already, but you're thinking about that Galway-Kilkenny match. Like, I mean, the connection between Henry and the Ballyhale lads, which is massive, and that is that little subplot. Then you have the sideline with Henry versus Cody. And we know in 2014, in Henry's last year, like, Cody dropped Henry. And this is Henry Shefflin now. This is, you know, in the top five greatest players ever played, you know, top scorer in the championship until recently, the most All-Irelands ever, the most, the most player of the years ever, etc., etc. He dropped him. And, you know, from the, the reading Henry's book, you know, he says that the, they had a great relationship and maybe it was tested in the last year or, you know, or <laughs> whatever. Let's read between the lines here. Henry's bloody pissed off about that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like the, the Galway and Kilkenny... They've been so close in, in recent years as well. Like, you know, I'd nearly say that, like, when I was growing up, it was Tip Kilkenny was the best rivalry. But Galway and Kilkenny, like, Limerick are nearly so good that they don't have a direct rival at the moment. But any time Galway and Kilkenny play, they played in 2020. And remember, Richie Hogan got the goal. So Galway were leading the whole way through the game. In 2019, it was one of the best games I was at in Nolan Park that year. Remember, uh, Galway won that one by a point. Like yeah. It was a sensational game. And they just seemed to be so evenly matched. Like, And when you have this added on now on top of Everton, like the kind of, you know, Henry, like his nephew, his own Cody, he could be playing. Evan Shefflin, his his other nephew, he could be playing. And you have all them Ballyhale lads that he managed. And in that interview as well, TJ mentioned that but in the week before the match, you could run into Henry in the in the local shop in Ballyhale, like, and you know it's just yeah. it re- it will be box office when the two of them meet, like, and it's just it's going to be great. It's going to be great to watch, like, isn't it? I'm looking forward to it. One thing now that you mentioned Evan Shefflin because you're a hurling man. He always impresses me as in one of the big players for Ballyhale, but he doesn't get a, a, a look in with Kilkenny. Is there a reason uh, that I can't understand? For that, yeah, well, he's he's there. He there, in fairness, Maybe, great in the air. Yeah, tremendous in the air, and one of the best strikers you, you'd see. Like he scores points from Long everywhere. Long range ones, but, yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe lacking a bit of pace, but he's still only he's still very young. Like I think he's only twenty one or twenty two. Like so, he has loads of time, loads of time to make his mark yet. Like yeah, one other one. Um, now that we're talking about Kilkenny, is Paddy Deegan. 
He's getting carried away with himself now. He's put himself on the penalties. <laughs> Here's a, a defender who's been converted to full forward. Okay. And he's banging them in. And we're very interested in Paddy Deegan experiment. And then I saw him on, on Monday night there on the TG Cahir highlights. I was like, he's not taking the penalties now as well, right? So like he put it wide. This is Paddy Deegan watch Paddy here Deegan. on the, on the GR. <laughs> I'm obsessed with him. <laughs> yeah. No, I'd say he won't be allowed to take another penalty for the Manu after that one. But in fairness to him, he was back out the field about... Because that was it looked that like he'd a roving role, did it? It seemed, yeah. He was he was back in the back line at one stage, but like that was a crucial time to miss uh, the penalty. And Tullerone got a point then, but Paddy Regan scored a, a brilliant point just a few minutes later as well. So he he kind of redeemed himself, in fairness. Some little bit because we didn't obviously didn't do a show on Monday. The big news in Dublin is Ballymunk Kickhams are knocked out, which is a huge um, shock. Luke and Sarsfields, like you mentioned, uh, beat them, but almost bigger. Well, definitely bigger than that is St Vincent's have gone down to Senior B. Uh, they're beaten by Whitehall. Column kills a huge fall from Vincent's. Like, I mean, in a 10 year spell from 08 to 17, I think it was they won five Dublin, four Leinsters, and two All Irelands. Like, I mean, they were incredible. And I suppose we were talking about Mossy playing corner forward, and like, I mean, you know, still depending on the 39, 40 year old Connolly not playing Ger Brennan, our own Ger Brennan uh, retired. And it just the, the fall came very quickly, I suppose, Lee, um, is the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, when you think it was it 2017 was the last time they won it. You know, it really wasn't a long time ago at all. Uh, we talk a lot about these teams, you know, that come from intermediate to senior and then suddenly they're winning titles and everything else and these huge, like, you know, rise from the ashes kind yeah. of stories, you know, where teams come out of nowhere. But the fall happens just as quick as well, you know. Like, Vincent's, they're like, seen as the team in Dublin for a long time there and, and like, they were just held up in su- such high regard and now to be relegated or going down a division is just, you know, it's it's hard to imagine because you know, when you pick, picture the big teams in your head, you know, they're right up there with it and all the, all the all-star names. But you sort of did call it earlier in the season, you know, talking about Mossy Quinn and, and as good as he is, it is very strange to be relying on someone of his age, you know, to be getting the main scores and everything else. And that it did prove to be a telltale saying that maybe uh, the team coming through just isn't as strong as previous. Yeah, exactly. Oliver Plunkett's went down to Senior B as well, which is another shock. Not as big as Vincent's. They're a very big team in Dublin for a long time. Um, they never got over the line to win a county title. Um, another bit of news is that Gary O'Donnell from Galway retired. And like, I mean, this won't send shockwaves um, around the country or anything like that. But Gary O'Donnell's a bloody good player, but he was so unassuming Um it wouldn't have been necessarily, it wouldn't have much flair. Like, he still get up for a point, but there was nothing hugely exciting about the way he ca- he played football. Just kind of, you know, a very steady player. And, like, had loads of brilliant games. Captain Galway to a, to, to a Connacht title in 2017, was it? 2016. Um, he made his debut in 2009. He went the first seven or eight years uh, without any Connacht title, which is unusual um, for Galway. But like, I mean, I suppose, Lee, when you think of Gary O'Donnell, like, you know, it won't have made headlines, but I, I would call Gary O'Donnell a very, very underrated player. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you ask, you know, the people of Galway what they think of him, they, they would throw him in really high esteem as well. And it, it was a difficult journey. The fact that he had to wait so long for a conic title, and, but it sort of did bring back. We talk a lot about how like the provincial titles outside of Ulster don't really mean much, you know. Uh, because of the usual teams that win them and stuff. But like when Galway did win it in 2016 and, you know, and he got to be a part of that, like I'm sure that meant the absolute world to him. You know, I mean, he waited so long and he was just such a key part of that journey and finally for him to get over the line in that sense. But because it's like diminished as a title in, in elsewhere and how we view it, you know, he maybe isn't remembered in the same regard. But like I say, in, in the county, I, I reckon that uh, 
you know, he'll, he'll be missed definitely and, and that they think the world of him. Yeah, that's it. Before Galway won it, you'd probably say the Connacht title was dead because Mayo had won five in a row and, you know, maybe it kind of got the boost when Galway and Roscommon um, started winning them after 2016. But he's played under six different Galway managers in his time. Liam Salmon, uh, Thomas Tomas O'Flaherty, who managed Leash as well, um, Alan Mulholland, remember, then Kevin Walsh came in, Porrick Joyce, and I had forgotten about this, Joe Kernan, um, in 2009. I'd forgotten completely about Joe Kernan managing Galway and this was a huge deal at the time because Galway were kind of underachieving a little bit. Joe Kernan going in after winning an All-Ireland with Armagh. There was huge expectations um, on this appointment and it made huge, huge... Um, huge headlines at the time and it didn't go according to plan at all they lost to Sligo in the Connacht, type, in the Connacht Championship no huge shame in that um, because Sligo had beaten Mayo in the, 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 the round before and they only lost the final to Roscommon by a point I don't know where Sligo came out of uh, that year I think Mark Bretney was, was on fire um, and then they lost in the qualifiers to Wexford and then the Galway County Board wanted Joe Kernan to change his backroom team um, Joe Kernan didn't want to change his backroom team, so Joe Kernan says, "Look, I'm I'm out." So we never really, we never really saw the best of Joe Kernan with Galway. You know, it's just a, a bit of a disastrous first year. Nicky Joyce was injured for the championship. Michael Meehan was in, um, injured for the championship, and then he's out. Do you know? And he's out, kind of almost like what an, a disastrous year for Galway. You know, without you'd love to have seen him getting another year to show the you know a, a proper picture, maybe I suppose now. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't have even have remembered that Joe Kernan was the was the Galway manager. Like it was just, I suppose it was it, it went so quick, and maybe it kind of maybe he was just there at the wrong time. Like as you said, with injuries and Galway just weren't weren't going as well at the time, and probably just needed another year, like for it to to really kind of, I suppose, make a bit of headway there. And, uh, but yeah, like Gary O'Donnell, like he was, he was just such an, kind of an underrated player, like, and, but he was always there, wasn't he? And yeah, kind of, yeah. he was just, he wouldn't have made the headlines, but he was always there wing back, kind of leading that Galway team but on. Even, like. even if he was man of the match and he scored two points, he wouldn't have made, he wouldn't make, <laughs> he wouldn't make yeah. the headlines. Something else, you know, someone else would have made, a, Gary Donald was not a headline maker. Do you know what I mean? Some players are yeah. just like that. They're not, don't know. Maybe it's just the way they play. It's not majorly exciting. I don't want to be too, you know, disrespectful to him either. Yeah, and he's like he was, he was, he was good at wing back, really, and is solid good, and yeah. is steady. And you'd see him coming up the field the whole time. And I don't know, it just didn't make the headlines for one reason or another. But um, I'm sure everyone in Galway and everyone that followed Galway football will sort of really appreciate and have remembered what he did for them. Yeah, coming back when I was playing, I'd only have to have one good game and I'd make all the headlines. And then, you know, you mightn't be good in other ones, but there's some, some players that when they play well, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, or maybe I'm just talking complete nonsense. Refereeing decisions last weekend, uh, Lee, there was two interesting ones. There was a Paddy McBrearty one and obviously the Kilcar Glenties match. You know, we tried to build it up here. It was half a match to watch. It was boring. I dozed off for a part of it, which is a terrible thing to say. Um, yeah, so there was a, obviously the, the, the goal at the end, the Paddy McBrearty goal, a ball in from Michael Hegarty, which he came on as a sub. Funny enough, I played against Michael Hegarty in 1996 minor. That'll put him 43 years of age and he's still uh, tugging out for Kilcar and coming on in a county um, semi-final. But the referee got this rightly. Like, I mean, the important thing here is that if that ball was kicked in by Michael from play, that goal would have been allowed. But the fact it was a set play, you cannot be in the square before the ball from a set play. You can in normal play. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, apart from the result, you 
you ever you knew what you were going to get when it came to that game. It's weird how like predictable it was, but that didn't mean you knew who was going to win. You knew it was going to be a really cagey affair. You knew that it was going to be very very tense. You knew at, at large parts there'll be spells where it was quite boring because of the, you know, they're both deep and like defensive sort of football structure. It's just the way they do it. But you always knew that it was going to go to the wire. And with three points to go, a free kick comes in late. Paddy McBrady gets a hand to it. You know the man of the moment. You know he did it against Derry for Donegal. He's always there till. Uh, a get out of jail card like come at the hour come at the man and then the referee in fairness to him on the lines man were very brave you know they, they called it like they seen it they knew that especially because of all the chaos and the controversy that happened the last time these two played in the in the 2020 final um, they knew that they were going to be under serious heat if they got it wrong but they stuck to their guns because yeah from a set play you're not allowed to stand in the square and you know we were afforded the luxury of a replay and when we seen it, you know, he was in the square, whatever way you wanted to see it. And like, I'm from a neutral because th- to me, that was the game finally getting good. You know, oh, stick it in. Let's see extra time here. You know, when they're, they've opened up a little and, and everything's um, going balls to the walls, as it were. But yeah, I mean, you, sometimes you just, they don't get a lot of praise, but you got to just uh, hold your hands up and say fair play to them because it was a very brave move, but it was more importantly, the correct move. Yeah, no, it definitely it definitely was the correct move. The other one then was the Dermot O'Connor penalty in the Ballantubber, uh not more game. So you'd say the penalty was soft enough. Dermot O'Connor at that time had to <coughs> had to try and you know win it. Time was ticking down. There were two points down. Wasn't much in it. Like he could have tried to battle past the Knockmore player and not got anything. I think he played for the penalty and got it right. So you know the penalty's taken and it's saved. Or no, he wasn't playing for the penalty. He won. He played for the free. And got the free. Sorry, I'm I'm wrong. And then took the free, and it was a 14 uh, yard free. And the Knockmore players lined up along the goals, as you'd see always. All the players going along the goals. Such an important time. There's obviously not enough room on the line for all 14 players standing shoulder to shoulder. Nile. So some players have to stand slightly out from others. Like there's nearly too many players back, and the referee blew this free. Dermot O'Connor took for a penalty. Now, you'd say it's a very, very harsh penalty. Technically, they're not on their line. Like, is, is the message to go to teams in hurling and football now, I'm not sure if the same rule is in, in hurling, is instead of putting 14 players on the line, you have to put, at least hurlers do stand back on the line more in, more in a straight line. Maybe the goalie kind of rushes out in front of them and tries to, you know, save it first. But you can't put 14 men back on the line because they can't all fit on the line. Now, this referee is very finicky, you'd have to say. Yeah, because it seemed like the referee was ready to give that penalty like before the 14 yard free was even taken like Dermot O'Connor just hit it and he had the whistle blowing straight away like right. like whether he didn't tell the maybe boys, he warned them to yeah well like he, he'd, you'd nearly want to have warned them because like it was like when there's 14 lads there they're, they're obviously going to encroach a little bit because there's just not enough space like um, I'd say it'd have been better if they put maybe 8 or 9 lads back and yeah. see what happens should then, be enough because they're a desperate free from Dermot anyways he probably just kicked it down the middle you didn't you know you didn't need yeah. to do that I think it was the sub goalkeeper uh, that saved it Ryan McDonald. now Ryan McDonald came on in the middle of the second half and I don't know when you have to laugh at stuff like this I don't know what I have but like generally if you're on the field at club level more than any other, like not inter-county or anything like that, but at club level, if you're on the field and your goalie gets injured and you see your sub-goalkeeper running on the field, usually you're going, ah, Jesus. You're usually thinking, what could happen here? You know, because generally sub-goalies at club level aren't great. And you'd be more worried that they could do something stupid and lose you the match rather than like Ryan McDonald, who comes on, saves the free from uh, Dermot O'Connor 
and then saves the penalty. Yeah, well, the thing is, he, pr- he could be their like, um, second team's goalkeeper, do you know? And he was just brought on because the other goalkeeper was injured. But I'd say, if that's the case, the second team, they'd be raging, you know, that they're down they a, good, him, yeah. a good goalkeeper now. Because he definitely, he did play well. Like, And from the minute he came on, his kickouts were brilliant. And there was yeah. a few balls that went in there. And especially, you know, at such a kind of tense part of the game, I thought he stood up well, and he could be he could be the minor goalkeeper. Or something he's mm. not quite ready yet. You know, I'm not. I'm not. There are exceptions to this theory, but in general, at club level, the sub goal is useless. It's, am I right? It's not the most glamorous <laughs> position, in fairness, a sub goalie on a club team. No, he's he's flying the flag. He's inspiring sub goalies all over the country. Lee Ryan McDonald single handedly. Not only did he sit on the bench that day with no kind of hope of ever getting on the field. Number two, he comes on hoping he doesn't make a balls of it. Number three, he comes on and is the hero. And number four is on TG Cahar for the whole country to see it. Yeah, I mean, it's hugely impressive, isn't it? Uh, you, you made the point there he could be the minor goalkeeper. I, I didn't get his age, but I did think that he, he looked very young. Mm-hmm. So, my th- and after seeing him perform, my thinking was that they know they have a good goalkeeper on yeah, the yeah. He's just young, maybe not ready yet. And But, you know, ready he is because... Like what's super impressive is then, as you say, not none of this would have been premeditated. You know, not that you could premeditate something as, as outrageous as that ending, but the fact was he even really visualizing being on the pitch? He was probably on the bench for the last couple of matches and all of the league and whatever else. <laughs> Lee, Lee, uh, Lee, you know, Lee, Lee, get Lee, used to that routine. Lee, sub goalkeepers at club level aren't in the visualization. <laughs> I'd wager. <laughs> 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 probably not no they're just there <laughs> but or, well if he is I'd love him to come out and say that he was just to prove everyone wrong <laughs> he sort of willed this into happening but um, no I mean it's the stuff of fairy tales and then it had to be German O'Connor you know they took the penalty like a Mayo hero earlier on in this year you know against Dublin and um, he would have watched him on TV and to think that like you know he'll be saving his penalty you know to take his club to the next round of the championship and like all of the fans and all of the players, they instantly flooded towards him afterwards. And he's a big, tall fella. And, you know, he's leaning down over, hugging everyone. And he's got a big blush face. He couldn't hold it in. You know, it was just, it's just lovely to see. And one, one of the better stories to come out of the GA. Yeah, Killian O'Connor, obviously the big loss uh, there for Ballantubber not being able to able to take that. I, I, I feel I can say these things about sub-goalkeepers. I was sub-goalkeeper on my school team. It really, really pissed me off um, in secondary school. I was 16 at this stage. And I was sub-goalkeeper on the school team. Like, I mean, it was embarrassing. I hated it. And I was a useless goalkeeper. So I don't have any problem talking about sub-goalkeepers being useless because I have been there. Um, and, I, and, I, and I know what it's like. One other story, lads, is Nace. They're proving here, we're talking a lot about managers and the power of managers. They're proving single-handedly that it's all a load of bullshit now. We don't, who needs a manager? Yeah, if there's any like club boards that are a little bit stingy or missing out on a bit of money, <laughs> they'll just be like, lads, you sure you don't need a manager? Look at Nace over no, there. No, get him in for half the year. What's your fee? We'll give you half. We'll yeah, let you get you in until the end of I April. Say the two, two of you there, you can take over the team like Game <laughs> and Callahan and Owen Dial. But it's just a, it's a brilliant story, isn't it? Like, and it's, there must be a great sort of a bond in the, the whole team at this stage. Like the way they're, it's kind of, Whatever it is, it's a bit of a siege mentality now and they're going for their first county title since, I think it's 1991. Yeah. Like, so, um, you know, you, you'd just be keeping an eye on them and sort of hoping that they do the job and sure, Eamon Callaghan, he's doing the job, isn't he? Yeah, he definitely is. I, I don't know what Eamon Callaghan's skin care uh, kind of routine is, Lee, but the man doesn't look 39. He scored uh, six mm-hmm. points. He still looks like he's 25. Yeah, well, managing hasn't aged him yet anyway. It's really <laughs> been on the so far, so good. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm wondering if, like, not having a manager or the, the way that this manager walked out on them, I know we don't know the ins and outs, but 
it sort of takes the pressure off a little bit because, you know, if they don't reach the final, or I know they did, or if they lose the final even, they could say, well, like, you know, our manager walked out and look how brilliant we did even without him. So there's already sort of a scapegoat there, but it's definitely, you would imagine, brings the squad together, the team together, and, and like invites that kind of siege mentality and stuff. And this story will come out, like when it's over, we will know the reason why he left and, you know, and they'll talk about it in the interviews and everything afterwards. So like all eyes are on Nas, you know, it, it's kind of worked out to be, like you, you wouldn't imagine that there could be a better way to win a championship, you know, or an extra added uh, bonus because, you know, they haven't done it in like, was it nearly 30 years or whatever. So it's going to be huge regardless. So, but just this little added benefit, if they were to get over that line, it, it, it'll make it stand out in history, not just in their own county in Kildare, but in the rest of Ireland, you know, because we're all talking about it now. So I, I'm hugely fascinated by it and I, and I really hope they do it. Yeah, there'll be underdogs obviously going into play Sarsfields. There's Nace versus Newbridge, which is a nice kind of, I'm sure there has to be. I haven't looked into this. It's usually Moorfield, Newbridge versus Sarsfields, Newbridge, the big kind of town rivalry. But surely two big towns like Nace and Newbridge, obviously Nace have gone away, but there has to be a rivalry there. We can look into it uh, for the final. Obviously to play Sarsfields and I was, uh, saw a picture of, of Sarsfields and it reminded me of how much I love the Sarsfields jersey. It's green with a white sash. And sash jerseys are massively underrated as far as I'm concerned. I think they're the coolest jerseys. They're old school. I absolutely love them. And then I was watching TG Cahar the other night and I saw Tullerone in the green jersey and the white sash. I was like, do they have the exact same jersey? What's going on here? And it's because they were playing a Lachlan Gales, you were telling me. Like, uh, you know, it didn't really look Tullerone. They're usually white jersey with the green sash, which isn't as nice as the green jersey with the white sash. Well, Discuss. The, the green jersey with the white sash is lovely, wasn't Beautiful. it? Beautiful. And I, I think this is a section of the show that we need to, fi- <laughs> to finish the show on every week. The jersey section. Yeah, because there is. But Tullerone's nickname, I think... Um, they're they're known as the sash, like that's their nickname. So it's obviously obviously kind of a a big thing for them, like, and uh, it, it makes for lovely jersey, doesn't it? It definitely does. Like, there's no doubt. Like, I'm thinking of the River Plate jersey. Like, I love that. It's a sash. A sash is absolutely class. Um, I didn't know Tullerone's nickname. Uh, nickname was the sash. I'm trying to think. Like, I, you know that like the leash jersey, the blue white or the white blue white. Most intercounties are that style. It's terribly boring. Like give me the Kilkenny bloody, you know, stripey one any day of the week. You need to get onto O'Neill's and uh, get onto their designing designing team or something. But yeah, there is no. Um, I don't think there is any sash in the intercounty. No sash yeah, at no. intercounty level. Big loss. It's a huge. It's actually a disgrace, Lee. Yeah, listen, I'm from the north, so it'll be quite controversial if sashes <laughs> were put on a lot of jerseys up here. It'll either be controversial or it'll be all-inclusive, depends what way you market it. Um, so there's not too many teams up here with a, with a sash, but yeah, I'm all for changing the jerseys and stuff. I mean, uh, earlier on, well, it would have been last year, our club, we were looking training jerseys, so they put it to the players to have a vote, and they put in all these examples and everything else, and all the players had a vote um, with a, some like survey monkey or something like that in an app, and it just cost chaos in the group chat and people like <laughs> refuse to buy the jersey because it's not the one they voted for or people who would work like I can't believe you even got that or why are you voting for the white one you know we shouldn't be getting that and it just caused chaos and I don't think we'll ever do it again I don't know if that's maybe that's just our own club but <laughs> no, I we, we say, got there in the end yeah. I, I like the jersey I would say that's every club in the entire country and maybe that's why we love this alternative Dublin jersey because like Argentina and we just don't see an inter-county jersey you know with a different mm. style I'm saying bring in the sash Bring in Argentina style and let's mix up these jerseys. Anyways, I've run out of things to give out about when, when I've moved on, on to jerseys. We'll leave it there, lads, because we don't know what direction uh, we're going to go. We'll, we'll be back with Mickey Graham. Um, he's coming up next.
So there's a very unique situation happening on the Longford Cavan border uh, this Sunday week. We have Mullinahokta in the Longford County Final and we have Gauna who are in the Cavan County Final. Mullinahokta and Gauna are in the same parish but playing different finals in different counties on the same day at the same time. So we have Cavan manager Mickey Graham who's back coaching Mullinahokta um, this year. He joins us on the line now. How's it going Mickey? Good, Colin. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Kind of a unique situation um, here, Mickey. Yeah, it is. It is, I suppose, uh, one parish can, and two teams contesting two county finals in two different counties. It, it is a unique um, situation that both clubs find themselves in, all right. Yeah, and look at it as a special occasion as well for both of them. Well, what's the relationship like between the two clubs? Yeah, they'd be, yeah both of them would get on very well. Um, Mullinock, they would do a lot of their um, socialising probably in Gown as well. And I know after games, they would go to the local hotel in Gown for their food afterwards and breakfast after training sessions um, at the weekends. And um, so, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd be interacting an awful lot together with, with the Gowners. So there'd be, um, there'd be a lot of um, friendship, big friendships there between both of them. Right. So I presume that hotel you like to go to is going to be booked out. You're going to have to find an, an alternative uh, arrangement. It's looking like that. Um, I know that down through the years, Mullinock, they've always gone back there after after big games to, to have food and probably Gown has been the same. So it'll be an arm wrestle now to try and get in there after the game. But hopefully they'll have something to celebrate both clubs on at, you know, when it comes to the final whistle. We have a similar situation in Leash in Port Arlington. Um, you have Gracefield and Port Arlington separated. They're both in the town of Port Arlington, but separated by a river. But Gracefield is in Offaly and Port Arlington's obviously in Leash. But there'll be a big, big enough rivalry there because Offaly and Leash are rivals at county level. You know, you don't have that at all with Longford and Cavan because they're in completely different provinces, probably, which makes it that bit more unique. Yeah, probably, that's probably true. There wouldn't be a huge rivalry between Longford and Cavan. Um, it would be more uh, respectful uh, rivalry between them. Um, we wouldn't have met each other too often, only maybe in Dodd League uh, game down through the years. So, um, no, there wouldn't be that huge rivalry at all as both clubs, you know, as I said, are playing in different counties and um, both clubs would be monitoring each other down through the years and probably uh, keeping a close eye on each other to see how they're getting on. So, yeah, look, at uh, the Wild, there might be a small bit of rivalry there, you know, but I don't think it's major. Right. Is that like, when did you go? You were just back this, this year with Mullinocta on a just on a coaching uh, basis, is that right? Yeah, look, uh, Justin Kieran Fox is, is the manager of Mullinock and he just asked for uh, help to just a bit of coaching during the weekend. So, look, there was a bit of free time there, midweek there for a few weeks. I was off doing nothing. And then, obviously, you get the bug back again to try and get, you know, get your hands dirty and get back into the coaching game. And I'm enjoying that end of things at the moment. Yeah, so you had a boring summer, really, after, you know, the, the early exit and the knockout championship the way it was. This year is unusual for you. Yes, it was. Look, as, as I said, um, usually you'd be, you know, yeah, your whole summer, well, most of your summer be taken up with football, but uh, this year we were kind of uh, beaten early in the season, so it was a long summer and there's only so much uh, the missus can take of you being around the house before she kicks you out the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, she, maybe she did the connection with Mullinocta and uh, got you back in coaching um, there above your head. Come here, listen, Mullinocta is, is a, a funny situation. Since you won the Leinster when you were manager, you'd won three in a row. They haven't been back to the final since. Um, you know, so they're obviously in a post huge win lull. And, you know, obviously Cavan have, are, are going through that a little bit as well. Like, I mean, is there, are there parallels here? 
Um, oh, I don't know with that. Um, as the fellow says, you have to take the good with the bad sometimes. And unfortunately, in football, you get more bad days than good days. But yeah, Mullinyakta had a great run of it there for, for, for three years, you know, and they won three senior championships and obviously the length of the club in 2018. And it probably took its toll on them those three years. Um, there were three long seasons. And then obviously... The following year, there was a bit of a lull, maybe just lost a wee bit of their appetite. And I know that they had a number of injuries as well with, because they had small numbers that, you know, any few injuries at all would have a major impact on the, on, the, on the team itself because they would be limited as regards numbers. They'd only have about 23, 24 players available at most times. So, um, you know, I suppose that probably took its toll and, you know, probably lost a wee bit of the hunger, but they seem to have got it back now this year, which is good to see. And, like, I mean, considering that analysis then for Cavan, do you think after winning the Ulster, you know, first time since 97, that it blunted the hunger a little bit? Yeah, look, I think uh, the major thing with, with Cavan was, um, you know, the league was meant, we finished up, uh, our, obviously, our All-Ireland semi-final against Dublin in, in early December and, you know, obviously after that, you were probably starting to plan for the National League starting in February. So you had a wee bit of momentum built up and the lads were looking forward to getting back, straight back at it. And then obviously that was put on hold because of COVID and it was pushed back till 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 May. And it probably just uh, knocked a wee bit of edge out of us and broke our momentum. And then obviously lads uh, were back with the clubs and all of a sudden we started to pick up injuries at the wrong time. So... It probably didn't help us that uh, there was a long break after that um, All-Ireland semi-final because we felt that, you know, we were in a good place after that and it was about trying to build on it. But unfortunately, with the delay then, it kind of probably knocked us back a small bit and, and broke the momentum which we felt we had built up at that stage. Right, OK, so I suppose that's it. Like, I was thinking that these things are almost impossible to fight. You can talk about them and you can try and get back the year after. But I suppose, uh, you know, that kind of raw hunger... You know, whether that you can maintain that after reaching the top of the mountain, if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with you. It's like anything else, you know, any team that's trying to get to that pinnacle and win that elusive championship, whether it's club or whether it's Ulster championship, whether it's an All-Ireland, you know, when you finally arrive, you know, it's great relief to everybody involved. And then, you know, you do have the question, does, does, the, does the hunger still be the same the following year? And anybody that has won championships for the first time after a long period will tell you, you know, it's not. And, you know, no matter what you tell yourself is, is the hunger still there? Yes, the hunger is still there and the desire is still there. But is that, you know, really relentless hunger to how badly you want this? Sometimes it does win and then sometimes you'd find that a team the following year might go out and um, not do anything and then the year after that they'll come back with, with, with that renewed hunger. So definitely, you know, it, it, it does have an effect on, on a team that has been trying for so long to make the breakthrough. When they do, you know, maybe that hunger just wanes a small bit the second year round. Yeah, so it's a, it's a unique champ. Well, it's not really a unique championship next year. We're going back to pre-Super 8s. Um, so, like, having have to make the provincial final or it looks like you'll be in the, the Talton Cup. Have you talked to a lot about that? Yeah, look, it probably from from a player's point of view, it's probably disappointing that uh, proposal B was defeated. Um, I think that the, you know the, the thing that was being missed here is that you know out of all the players that had been you know maybe surveyed about you know what their favourable option was, proposal B was the one that most of the players were in favour for, and I think they were looking just for change, just to 
threshing their appetite for it. So I think from that point of view, it's disappointing that it didn't go through. I don't think this has gone away. I think we're going to be back here in the same position next year again because um, at the end of the day, the players are the major stakeholders in this and I don't think their voice was listened to, to be honest with you, which is disappointing. Well, so that's the thing. What input did you have on the players? Because obviously, like, it looks, all the Ulster uh, Congress delegates spoke against Plan B, and it looked like Ulster had made the decision. Apparently, they, you know, were in consultation with the Ulster Council, who were vehemently against this. You know, they wanted to protect the Ulster Championship. Like, you know, how much input as a playing group and a management would you have had? You know, with your Congress delegates. Yeah, well, look at all we could, you know, as a management and players, is voice um, our opinion and, you know, watch what we were, you know, what we were in favour for. And after that, you know, you have to leave it up to the clubs and the county board to make the decision. Um, and I think that was the case in a lot of the t- a lot of the counties in, in Ulster that the players probably voiced their opinion, but maybe club delegates and, and county boards had different views on it. And, you know, I suppose I can also understand where the Ulster, Ulster um, Council are coming from. You know, the Ulster Championship is a unique championship. It's very competitive and yeah. on any day, any team can beat each other. So, you know, taking away that competitiveness would probably, you know, lessen the, you know, the Ulster Championship's value. So I can understand where they were coming from. But um, as I said, you know, I think a change is inevitable. I, you know, it hasn't happened for next season, but I don't think it's going to be too far away. How do you think? Do you think it would have been affected? Like, I, I think it's probably fairly obvious it would be affected a bit. But do you think if, say, if an All-Ireland final was in July and there's, then there's a split season with the club, so there's no Winter County from uh, the end of July on and then you, you start the year with the Ulster Championship starting in February... Do you, know, do you think people would be craving inter-county again? Ulster people are very passionate about their, their football. The edge might be taken off it a bit, but do you, like, do you, would you see it being devalued hu- hugely? It's hard to know. It's hard to know how, how, how teams would approach it. You know, um, those are championships as I say, is, is, is a special competition. But yeah, I think the hunger would have been there for those games. Um, you know, inter-county footballers, I suppose, want to be playing as many games as possible in, in the height of summer. And I think that's, you know, that's fair to say that that's what most players would like. And um, you look at maybe the top teams that go on till the middle of August or the end of August every year, they're probably, you know, on average over five years, they're probably getting 15 to 20 games more than, you know, the teams that are knocked out at the early stages. So they're getting more development. They're playing together for longer. They're playing against better opposition. And, you know, and because of that, you know, they're developing at a more steady rate than maybe the lesser counties. So I think that, you know, if counties could play as many games as possible during the summer, the same amount of games and money be behind the other top counties, two or three, say all Ireland semi final final, I think it'd be great in the development of, of the lesser counties. But I think it's something that will have to be looked at again. And maybe a few tweaks maybe to make it more attractive as well. Yeah, make it more attractive to the Ulster delegates, I think, is very uh, very important. Like I mean, talking about lesser counties, like unfortunately, Mickey, you're in that group now, you're in, in division four. Like it's not all doom and gloom. Leash have gone down into it, Derry have gone into it, Westmead have gone into it and they've all come out and gone at least went straight back to Division 2 I think Derry and Westmead took you know two years to get back to Division 2 so like I mean it's it's not like you know it's not an impossible thing it's just it's not an ideal situation either I suppose No it's not an ideal situation and I suppose with, with, with the league format last year we, we would have started the league campaign with a lot of uh, key players uh, out through injury and you only had three games basically after the lockdown to get yourself um up to speed and because of injuries and then you know only going in with maybe one challenge game under your belt we were a wee bit flat going into it and we paid the price 
and we have to just take it on the chin and accept it now. We no point looking back and, and dwelling on it. And so it'll be just rolling up the sleeves now when we get back and getting the head down and working hard and you know, league football, it's winter football as well and there's no easy games. Every team in, in the league, especially down Division 3 and 4, will be looking to try and move up the, up the ladder to try and get up and compete for the Sam Maguire, as you said. And it puts more emphasis on the league now, especially Division 3 and Division 4 and also Division 2 because anybody in Division 2 doesn't want to drop down the tree because that puts them in the Patching Cup. So it just makes that league a wee bit more competitive now moving forward. Yeah, it definitely does. And I know from even Leash being in it, there's going to be savage pressure on on every game in that division four, because, you know, just to get out of it, there's it, there's it. It's played in terrible conditions. You'll have the worst referees. No offense to the referees, but they are probably tiered as well. And you know, you'll be going to grounds you're not used to, and Tipperary are in it. And I'm not trying to build up a terrible scenario, for, like, but there will be an awful lot of pressure on every single one of those games. There's not much margin for error if you want to get out. No, and it's all about momentum and it's all about consistency and, you know, a wee bit of luck with injuries, you're right. Um, as I said, as a player, I remember being down in Division 3 and, you know, it took us a lot, a lot of years to get out of there and, you know, you do have to roll up your sleeves and you do have to grind out results as the fellas says, go into the trenches sometimes and just, you know, just grind it out and that's what it's going to take and, you know, you're just going to have to, you know, work hard at it and, as I said, you know, every team will be fancying their chances and will be gung-ho for the league to try and get up those divisions. Um, you know, they're trying to better against better opposition. Yeah, exactly. What about uh, Darren McVitie? Conor Miner came back obviously for last year. Has he stayed home or any sign of McVitie coming back? Yeah, no, as far as I know, Darren's still working over there. He's uh, he's um, he's a good job over there at the moment and he's happy out. So um, at this moment in time, he's still in Australia. Diane Connors is still home. Connors working at home at the moment as well. So he, he's around. Right, so you'll have a, fle- a clean bit. You kind of have everybody back bar Dara then. Yeah, well, that's the plan, hopefully, now. And, you know, the, the club season's coming to an end, so you'll be just you know, hoping that there's no major injuries now. As you know, the, the physios, uh, they'll be flat out come November after club season, you know, lads playing through, you know, small injuries and making them worse. So, you know, you'll be hoping that, you know, there's not too many major worries now in the next couple of weeks when we start assessing lads before we start back the pre-season. Yeah, exactly. Come here, we were talking about Gauna at the start. Has Dermot McCabe uh, left the backroom team? Yeah, Dermot has stepped away because um, he has other commitments and um, he's involved with Gowna along with Fenton Riley at the moment and, you know, in fairness to them, they're doing a great job there. They're back, Gowna's back in the final since the first time since 2007. Um, you know, they would have been one of the kingpins in the yeah. 90s there that they won seven or eight championships there in the 90s and their last title was in 2002. So, you know, they've been doing a lot of work at underage through the years and they're starting to see the fruits of it now. So, you know, they, them and Ramo should be the makings of a, of a, of a, of a good, good county final. Hopefully last year's county final was an excellent game. It was an RT live and it was one of the best games on the television last summer. So hopefully this game lives up to that expectation. Yeah, I don't know what's in the water on Mullinocta and Gauna and these places. Mullinocta, as we know, about 450 people and Gauna's only 700. Like, I mean, I, I don't know how to do it. They're in different provinces, but like sm- t- small little villages and towns, you know, batting above their weight. Yeah, look, both 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 uh, parishes would be very tight knit community, and you know there would be a lot of football mad families in 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 both parishes. Um, you know, in Mullinock, the four or five families would make up the would make up the team, and no more than in Gowna, four or five families would make up most of the players there as well. So that probably brings that continuity and that togetherness together. So and plus they have good people involved with the club that has put in an awful lot of work at underage level, which is hugely important. And 
in fairness, uh, both clubs are seeing the, the fruit to that now this, this last while. Yeah, they definitely have. Well, come here, listen, best of luck Sunday week and best of luck getting out of that Division 4. I'm sure you will, Mickey. Thanks very much for taking the call. No problem, Colin. Nice talking to you. Good man. Great stuff from Mickey there. Again, that game is on Sunday week. Um, we're not previewing it for this Sunday in case you're looking out for it. Right, that's all we've time for. We'll be back on Monday. Um, we'll review all the club action from the weekend. So we'll talk to you then. Good luck. No such thing as a media ban. We don't have a media ban. Ah, you do? No, we don't. A donkey is eating. A donkey is a palace. There's nothing else to eat. He was massive. <laughs> Legs, ass, spit. But I burst out laughing. <laughs> <laughs>